From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we have our week in review with senior writer Andrew Hayward. That's coming up on the Decrypt Daily. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, May 27, 2022. Let's get straight into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. The time is 11.17 a.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Times. We have Bitcoin sitting at $28,752, down 2% in 24. Ethereum is at $1,765, down 5%. Teller's number three. USDC is number four. And BNB is number five at 302, down 3.5%. Running off the top 10, we have XRP, BUSD, Cardano, Solana, and Doge. Total market cap is down 3% at $1.195 trillion. A BTC dominance of 45.8 and an F dominance of 17.9. And without further ado, let's get into our Week in Review with senior writer Andrew Hayward. My good friend, Andrew Hayward, senior writer at Decrypt. How are you doing, sir? Welcome back. I'm I'm good. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Actually, I was saying welcome back from VCon. That was, seems like a pretty interesting time. You went up there. You you know, spoke with Gary. You spoke with Spike Lee. Um, yes. Pharrell, like, what were you doing, man? You just hobnobbing with all the all the big wigs, <laughs> the celebs over there. Tell me about the whole experience. Yeah, so so I didn't personally speak with Pharrell, but he gave a great onstage interview. Uh, but I did speak with Gary V and uh, Spike Lee. Uh, VCon is Gary V's NFT conference. This was the first one. He's promised to do at least two more in the years ahead. Uh, it's for collectors of his V Friends NFT collection, and everybody who owns one of those gets a ticket. Um, I don't own one, but I'm pressed, so I got to go too. Uh, it's sort of like a summer camp for NFT creators and collectors. And, you know, there was a Ferris wheel inside the Viking Stadium. There's Adirondack chairs and food trucks and giant Jenga and bags. Like, it was just, like, all of that was happening. And then there were, like, big interviews with celebs like Snoop Dogg and Mila Kunis and Pharrell. Um, you know, right now, the NFT market has definitely been in a downturn the last couple of weeks, just like crypto prices. And... You didn't really feel that vibe there. It was it was fun. People were happy to meet each other in person. It was it was good times. Things were painting the picture of the overall vibe. What do you think the goal was of this? I mean, this is the first time. I mean, we've shift from, shifted from Bitcoin conferences to you know cryptocurrency conferences where it just is all blockchain and everybody. And now we're just niching down more into like NFTs. That's pretty interesting. Like, so what do you think the I guess end goal for these conferences are going to be for uh, Gary V or the attendees? So I interviewed Gary right before it started and he said, you know, he always wanted to put on a super conference. Like he's been thinking about it for years and years, but the timing was never right. And when NFTs took off, he saw an opportunity to give people access to him because that's something that a lot of people want. He's got this like cult of personality of like super fans that follow his every word. And he said, you know, this was a chance to, you know, put on something to unite the NFT community, show people that NFTs are more than just collectibles, that they could have 
some sort of utility as they do in his ecosystem. And, you know, it just ended up being a good way to learn about NFTs, to immerse yourselves in the NFT culture, to meet people, both creators and other collectors. And yeah, it was just, it was a good time and it was educational. And I'd be interested to see how it changes in the years ahead if he stays in Minneapolis or if he goes elsewhere. Okay, so you said it was educational. What were some educations that we got? Again, you spoke with a lot of people. You wrote you wrote some articles here on Decrypt. Uh, just spit some things, things that you learned, things that you saw, things that you should we should know about or were, that were highlighted. So um, I spoke with Spike Lee. I got to interview him after he did an onstage interview. And he is doing a project where he's selling NFTs um, based on images of him from She's Gotta Have It, his first movie. And it's not just a, you know, a cash grab collectibles thing. It's you buy one of those NFTs and you get access to basically a DAO-like community where they are going to fund um, short films and other projects from emerging filmmakers. He's going to mentor filmmakers and give them access to some of his production tools and capabilities. So that was sort of an interesting thing. Um, there were talks about, you know, how smart contracts work and how NFTs can benefit um, charities and organizations. So it was a lot of like teaching people that there's more to NFTs than just board apes and cash grabs and that there's kind of this broader maturing ecosystem developing around it. When you're looking at all of these spaces, I mean, I just want to say that you saw said cash grab and I'm, I'm, I'm going to bridge this to something else in a minute, which I thought was really cool to, to a very uh, popular show that I'm a very big fan of right now. Uh, but you said that they're trying to be more than cash grabs. Is there a vibe there still though of, you know, we, we're going to make money off of these things. Look, V friends, they're very valuable right now. I got a buddy that has a curious coyote and he got, you know, airdropped the, the version two of the curious coyote. And so, um, you know, he's huddling it because of the, the, the value. So is there still that whole like to the moon vibe there? Uh, yeah, there's some of it, but I think definitely the last few weeks seeing the market downturn, you know, hopefully some people are sobering up a bit and realizing that not everything's just going to go straight to the moon. Um, there's a lot of projects that will not hold value over time. And also I think there's an emerging kind of market for products or sorry, for projects that aren't just designed to bring in cash. They might be designed to benefit causes or create engagement you know, whatever they are, it's it's more about the technology and the way that it can be used to, um, you know, formulate decentralized communities or decentralized projects instead of just I buy this thing and number goes up. I was just referring to uh, death, love and robots who love death and robots, or robots, death and love, or however you want to play it. I don't know. It's the <laughs> same words, but you can move them different ways. Uh, but and they're doing an NFT. And I reported that yesterday on the show uh, where you watch the show. And here's one thing I want to clarify. During yesterday's interview, I said that you have to find it within the show, the QR code. Apparently, right when you get to the end of the show, they uh, pop up a QR code and there it is. And you can scan it and download the NFT. You can either mint it on chain uh, through either Coinbase or MetaMask on the Ethereum. So you pay the gas fees and I think it costs six bucks to mint or something like that. Uh, but Or you could just download the JPEG onto your phone, which is what I did because I didn't want to go through the whole faff of minting something and paying for it if i could just download it and whatever and it's still the same thing but the thing is if you're gonna give uh, somebody the option of a jpeg or the mint I, I don't know why they're doing that if you want to have this one rarity or this sort of kind of like traded traded collectible it doesn't make sense that they did that uh, did they miss the point i mean there's a lot of different points that can be had in the nft scene i think you know in this case it's not about something that's going to be um, accrue a ton of value this is probably more like hey, we're doing this cool thing with new technology. It's, you know, you get a little badge of honor that you watch the show or something. 
And no, it's probably not going to sell for hundreds or thousands of dollars in the future, especially if there's lots of people claiming these things. But it is a way to sort of onboard people into what NFTs are and how they work. And, and this is, you know, authenticated and on the blockchain. It's, you know, it's a little like fun introduction, but not something that's like a serious investment at all. So as this is the week in review, one big story today talking about NFTs again is Solana overtakes Ethereum in daily NFT trading value. What the hell? Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so as I mentioned, you know, the NFT market, it was booming about a month ago. The Bored Ape Metaverse land sale happened and there was just like surging all-time high levels of, of NFT trades. After that, you know, with the crypto market crash, a lot of people are you know, backing away from making splashy NFT purchases right now, trading volume on Ethereum especially has fallen to probably the lowest numbers we've seen since last summer. Uh, on the other hand, Solana, you know, the, the fans of Solana think that Solana summer is about to happen. And they, they, might be, uh, they might be right based on the numbers because Solana NFTs are actually on the rise. Um, earlier this week on Wednesday, Solana trading volume over the previous 24-hour span actually beat Ethereum for the first time that we've ever seen. And it's worth noting that this is because mostly Ethereum trading is way down. But Solana trading is ticking up. And so it's getting to the point where, you know, Ethereum used to just completely overtake Solana trading by a huge margin. And now they're sort of neck and neck because people are, are vibing on the Solana ecosystem. It's, you know, cheaper average prices, cheaper transaction volumes, sorry, cheaper transaction costs. Uh, there are some new and kind of more valuable projects forming in that ecosystem. So things are happening and, and it's, it's catching on. This is a podcast, so people can't see that your cat <laughs> is literally climbing up you right now and sitting on your shoulder and you're very uncomfortable with this, but you're letting, you're letting what is your cat's name? Uh, this is Evie. Hi, Evie. Evie is just literally chilling and now I'm going to take a nap on your on your shoulder and you're hunched over and uh, the cat is laying on your back. <laughs> she, she loves to do this in meetings. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Evie, <laughs> welcome to the to the podcast. <laughs> Guest appearance. You know, I was looking at this and you're right. You know, Ethereum's volume is down. Solana's volume is ticking up. Uh, again, minting on Solana is a lot cheaper. It's a lot quicker. It's a lot easier to put projects on Solana. Uh, is this actually significant? And again, this goes back to the original question. Is this just number go up and a lot of, you know, just speculative trading on this? Or is it we're getting real projects launching on, on Solana that rival Ethereum that are going to, you know, be the leaders of the NFT space? Yeah, it's probably a bit of both. And to some extent, it's too early to tell because the Solana NFT ecosystem has only been around for less than a year at this point, I think. Like it really kind of took off last fall. That's nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but the thing about Solana is, you know, as you mentioned, cheaper transaction costs, it's a lot easier to launch a project on there. It doesn't require quite the same amount of, you know, capital to start something there or to sell NFTs to people. There are some interesting projects happening in that space. I mean, Stepin is one that comes to mind. I'm not sure if you've talked about it here, but it's like a move to earn walking app and it rewards people with crypto tokens for walking. Um, you know, whether that has the potential to stay afoot uh, or stay afloat long term, we'll see. I mean, last summer, Axie Infinity was all everyone was talking about. And then six months later, that economy collapsed. So, you know, there's it's new, it's experimental, it's interesting. But if it has long term value, you know, we got to wait and see how that happens. All right. I got to shift gears. There's a lot of people that are sitting here saying, oh, NFTs, NFTs, NFTs. All we talk <laughs> about is NFTs. Uh, but NFTs is always big in the news. Uh, it's It's 
a big important technology that's coming up. And even though we're talking about number grow up and pictures and stuff like that, I just want to emphasize and remind people that NFT tech for the way it could be implemented in, you know, if it's IDs or, you know, uh, records or, you know, driver's license or diplomas, it is really something that is quite special. But uh, speaking of the space in general, Terra 2.0 is launching. It's not launching today. It got delayed to tomorrow now for reasons in air quotes. Can you one tell us briefly about that a little bit, but also can you tell me your thoughts? Here's one thing that Decrypt did not do and call out Do Kwan for being just I don't know why the hell anybody's allowing this in the crypto space. Like, in my opinion, to see him fail at two algo stables, come back. I mean, he takes billions of dollars and then we're just welcoming him back. You know, exchanges are allowing him to go back on. Uh, people are just, you know, kind of like rolling with it. We're just going to do this again. And like nobody's saying like, bro, no, that's enough. You can't steal people's money again. Like, this is what I feel. But please tell us about what's happening. And I want you to comment on that. I would just say, you know, from our end, the crypto editorial side, our, you know, our aim is to cover it journalistically, most of all. And we've definitely done a lot of coverage around that. I know my colleague, Jeff John Roberts, um, wrote a piece about will Doquan, will Doquan be able to go to jail for this? Is this something he could be punished for? And we've tried to explore it from angles around that. Um, but basically what happened here is, you know, Luna and the UST stablecoin collapsed earlier this month. And it, it, it really led to a lot of the crypto crash damage that we saw. The UST stablecoin depegged from the US dollar and then the Luna token that's like paired to it and linked to it also collapsed and they lost a ton of value. So in the last couple of weeks, they've been trying to figure out, okay, what can we do here? You know, how can we salvage any of this? And this week, the community voted to approve a plan to launch a new Terra blockchain, basically. They're going to airdrop the tokens to uh, Luna and UST holders. Um, exchanges like Binance and FTX have said, yeah, we'll support this new blockchain. My take is this. If this can help make Luna and UST holders whole again, to whatever extent it can, that's great. You know, a lot of people lost real money real value, some people, their life savings in this, if they can get any of that back, Godspeed. I would be very wary to put any new money into this new platform after what happened. And, you know, without an algorithmic stablecoin and huge staking rewards in this new version, is anyone really going to care about Luna? Is this something that can honestly be salvaged in a long-term sustainable kind of way? Or are they just kind of grasping for straws here and just like trying anything they can to get value out of this? I'm upset with the journalists, the, the, the crypto news market in general, because okay. here, here's what I want to say is like, if this was, a, say, a politician that was called out for um, tanking a market or robbing people or, or, or whatever, uh, the, the news or the journalists would come out and say, this person should not be here. We have to vote again. It's, we, it's, not, it's not just covering what's happening. It's more of a, it, there's also a moral direction and moral steer, in my opinion, where we have to go, hey, we're, here's the op-ed that says, we think, or I think, this guy should not be in the space. And this is where I, I want to call out crypto self-regulation or this idea of it. Crypto self-regulation and this whole, you know, this whole push for that, the crypto space to self-regulate themselves uh, mm -hmm. is obviously, it looks as though, in my opinion, it's not happening in this instance. Am I just being a very big hater when it comes to Do Kwan? <laughs> and it, it is a, am, am, am I coming this from a, from a point of view where, no, he should be given a chance. This is what it is. It's experimental technology. He failed. He's going to try again. That's what being an entrepreneur, that's what they called, that's what innovative innovation is. Am I being the hater? Can you answer me that? 
<laughs> no, you're you're not being the hater. I think it's your your perspective here is completely valid. I I think a lot of people still just think, oh, you know, it's it's so early in the crypto market, and this is uh, an experiment that went wrong. And because it's decentralized, I, I guess you know we we give them the opportunity to try to fix it. They try to salvage this. Can we bounce back from this? It seems unlikely to me, just because of the extent of the damage and the extent of the reputational damage. I mean, who's really going to trust this guy with anything that he creates going forward, given how badly this collapsed? So I I think just due to the decentralized nature of this space, there's a bit of a kind of a hands off feel to it. Like, okay, well, we'll watch and see what happens, and then we'll make our own decisions. But yeah, hundred percent. Like, people should be wary of this guy and should be critical of the decisions that he and his collaborators have made. I want to just clarify one more thing before we move on from Tara um, about the vote, and just because I want to make sure that I have it right and the listeners have it right. The vote isn't like one person, one vote. It doesn't say you had fifty thousand people from the community. Uh, twenty six thousand said, "Let's do this," and, and so they won by a, a majority or even a supermajority. It is a weighted vote by how many people have token stakes. So one person can have a disproportional weight in moving this Terra 2.0 forward than the community. So when we say the community voted, it's actually the biggest hodlers of the community in, in as, as a weighted vote. Is that correct? That's how I understand it. Yeah. And that's completely fair to, to point out. I haven't been deep in covering this particular story uh, in part because of Econ and other stuff I had going on. But based on how I understand it, you know, the total amount of votes was like 300 million. So clearly that's like per tokens out there and it may be Terraform Labs and other big backers of Terra that have the majority of those tokens and the majority of that weight. So, you know, it's, it's probably fair to say that what they want to happen, they have a lot of leverage in making that happen. But and, I know that there was a previous and proposal. different vested interest in Right. Then different vested interests. If I have all my token out, uh, in there and they go, hey, you know what? I just lost billions. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to try to push this through, you know, recover some of that. It's not yeah, it's not the, exactly. mo- the mom and pop that put ten thousand dollars in there. And that was a big portion of the thing is going, trying to push this forward and, and recover that 10 grand. And that's what I'm trying to say is I don't yeah. I, I, I don't want the conversation to say the community in air quotes that there's this whole big. Uh, you know, grassroots of people trying to get this, you know, to save their thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars savings. It is big hodlers that have a un, that has a disproportionate weighted advantage to move this forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everybody who is part of that ecosystem can take part in the vote, but your ten thousand dollars stake is, you know, relatively minuscule compared to some other people. Last thing I want to just touch on really quick is we have a little bit of political news, even though everything that I do on this show sounds a little political. Welcome to my world. <laughs> um, Sam Bankman fried that guy, that guy said he might spend up to a billion dollars in, do- in donations to uh, upcoming elections. That's a hell of a lot of money. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean he's he's got the cash, and uh, you know he's inclined <laughs> <Wow>. to <laughs> he's inclined to spend it in ways that he thinks uh, will benefit society, which sounds very positive and good to me. Uh, he said on a podcast this week he guesses that he would spend at least a hundred million dollars on uh, donations for the U.S. elections in 2024. He also said that there is basically a soft ceiling of a billion dollars. <laughs> So, uh, you know, he definitely leans Democrats, uh, leans liberal. You know, I don't know how much you want to talk about personal views here. I'm good with with him spending a whole bunch of money in that space. But, uh, you know, I could certainly see people in the space being like, wow, that's a really outsized impact for one person to have on an election. 
Sam Bankman-Fried has pledged to spend 99% of his fortune on different uh, things that he thinks is good. So if it's not, if it's investing in companies or businesses or climate change or elections, or whatever, I want I want everybody to put that in perspective really quick. I think he's worth something like $34 billion. 99% of that is gone. He still has $300 million left. <laughs> Even though it's 99% seems like a lot, you still have $300 million at 99% of $34 billion uh, net worth. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot of money being spent, but the guy is still doing doing fine. And, and kudos to him. No hate on people who, who who do well. Yeah, I do want to you know just go into that. What do you think? I mean, look, the crypto space, the crypto billionaires, the crypto uh, entrepreneurs. You know, there's wealth has been created in a very short time. There are billionaires, hundred millionaires, lurking all over in the crypto space, and now they're putting their capital to work. And we see Sam Bankman-Fried and his packs and other people, even um, early you know tech investors, Peter Thiel is, and he's not a crypto crypto person per se, but he is a tech entrepreneur. And he's putting his money to work. What do you think the, I guess, United States, the average person that doesn't know much about crypto, how do you think they feel about a crypto a tech entrepreneur that be, that is a billionaire putting billions of dollars in elections? Yeah, I'm sure some people don't love it. And I'm sure there's a lot of complicated feelings around it. You know, people look at crypto as this kind of imaginary money. Some people do. And they see, oh, this guy made billions selling what? you know, just trading imaginary money on the internet, and now he's going to affect real elections. That's one perspective. Uh, you know, my personal feeling is I, I would love to see money out of politics, just broadly. Like, I, I don't think it should be reasonable for anybody to pump uh, millions and billions of dollars into elections and try to sway them. That said, with the rules that the way they are right now, there's a lot of big, like, conservative backers that are pumping lots of money into elections. And Sam Bankman-Fried leans more liberal and, you know, he sees an opportunity to spend his gains to maybe help influence the election in that way. Uh, that's his right under the current laws. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what he ends up spending. So let's just say I got rich off of Let's Go Branding Coin. And now I want to put that <laughs> money into a weird segue to go to try to say a disgraced GOP representative. Uh, faces House investigation over Let's Go Brandon Coin. And of course, we're talking about Representative, Republican Representative Madison Cawthorn. Um, he lost his primary the other day, so he will be out of office come November. But uh, he is looking at charges or an investigation, at least, uh, for pumping Let's Go Brandon Coin. Um, what, why is this significant? So you were saying if, if he made a bunch of money off of Let's Go Brandon, I would say he should probably hold on to whatever whatever he has because he's about to be out of a job. Uh, yeah, he you know he tweeted about Let's Go Brandon and, and apparently made a bunch of money off of it and then it tanked, it nosedived, and you know this. Oh, he did make <laughs> money off of this. I believe so. Didn't oh he? wow. Okay. Yes. So the statement from the committee said that he may have improperly promoted a cryptocurrency in which he may have had an undisclosed financial interest. Wow. Uh, so, you know, they're still investigating it, but I think it's a good sign that if you're going to pump shit coins and try and uh, make money off the backs of other people, there may actually be consequences, especially if you're a huge public figure. Well, so in the grand scheme of things, let's go, Brandon. It's just one of many, many, many such examples of this, as you said, uh, you know, in that sense, it's not really a standout. What makes it a standout is the fact that we now have a politician who is being accused of taking part in, in a legal scheme to pump and dump this token, to benefit from it. And by putting that face on it, it really elevates you know, the profile of the situation. It gets in front of more people. 
And hopefully it convinces some people to not take part in these kind of scams, not risk your reputation, possibly your job or your future by getting involved in these scams and thinking you can just get away and, and laugh it off. I would like to note that Kenneth Owens was also named on that investigation as well. Um, so Andrew Hayward, as always, thanks for coming on and talking about this week in crypto and Web3 and Bitcoin. And uh, I hope to see you again very soon. It's been a while. Don't be shy. Thanks, Matthew. Have a great holiday weekend. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Diemer. I'll be back this weekend or maybe on Monday. I'm not too sure yet. I've been kind of liking taking the weekends off. If you want me to do more mini weekend updates, let me know. Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. And until the next show, happy hodling, everyone. <laughs>